And as I was praying last night, I'm not just saying this to plug a series. I'm, I, I'm not. But I felt the Holy Spirit touch me to pray this way. Change our church by leading us up into a new level of prayer. Change our church. Change our church. And I believe you're going to be changed today by the Word of God. You will be impacted today by the Word of God. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And my prayer is that God takes every one of us up a level, that we become prayers on a level we've never known. God's going to raise up some of you to be intercessors. And you're going to change the world through intercession. God is going to be calling, I believe, all of you to your prayer closet. Or as the movie put it, war room. And we're going to war spiritually. Because the only thing left for America is prayer. And the only thing left for you and me is prayer. And so can you say with me, prayer changes things. Now let's read one verse that Jesus spoke out of many, many. And let's read it together because there's only one brief verse. John 16, verse 24. Let's read it together. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Notice joy follows answered prayer. Father, thank you for your word today, and we thank you that the word is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It will change us. You are sending your word today, Lord, to renew the minds of your people. You are going to wash our brains in the word of God. And, Lord, our prayer level is going to go up. Our prayer life is going to be enhanced. And, Lord, I pray that not a person listening to me or watching by video or listening by radio will avoid being changed. Every one of them will be. And we know that when we finish this series, Lord, you're going to have done something miraculous in our prayer life that will be with us for the rest of our life. Now, can you breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, speak to me and change me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God answers prayer, and he's going to answer this one. Amen. Wasn't that a wonderful worship time? Well, I just love that worship. I love coming into the presence of God. Now, I, I just quoted this one simple uh, statement from Jesus, this one message from Jesus um, to his followers that they should be prayers. And, and I was thinking, if I could sum up all of Jesus' teachings on prayer, and there's a bunch of them, Jesus talked more about prayer than anybody in the Bible far and away. Jesus was a praying God-man. And I thought if I could sum it up, it would be the two simple words, prayer works. Prayer works. If Jesus could just look at us and just, you know, everything he said, put it in a blender, hit liquefy, pour it out, it's going to say prayer works. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're a praying person. You know, when a baby is born, the first thing it does is cry. When a human being is born again, the first thing it does is pray. 
Prayer is the oxygen of the soul. It is what children of God do. You, are, you can't be a child of God and not be a prayer. Now, there's different levels of prayer, and there's de- different um, levels of maturity in, in our prayer life, but every believer is a prayer. If you're a child of God, it's very, very likely that somewhere in your house there is a prayer closet, a place where you go regularly and you lay hold of God. And again, you can call it the war room, and I think that's great. Kathy and I were watching that last night, the movie. If you haven't seen the movie War Room, you need to get it. And there's three main characters in it, well, from the part that we watch, a married couple, a very successful married couple, and an older lady who's selling her house. The female of the married couple is a real estate salesperson, and she's selling this older lady's house, but the older lady is a prayer warrior. And she begins to home, on, home in on this woman and begins to talk to her about her prayer life. And the, the woman makes the mistake of saying, well, this is a beautiful home you're selling. What is your favorite room in this house? And she takes her up to this little bitty closet upstairs where there's all kinds of prayer requests stuck onto the wall. And she said, this is my favorite room because this is the room from which I change the world. This room. And she said, this is my war room. I pray that at the end of this series, all of you have a war room where you fight the real enemy, not flesh and blood, but the devil, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, rulers of the darkness of the world, and fight the real enemy in the war room. Boy, if if there's ever a time the church needs to collectively have a war room, it's now. Because prayer is the only, I believe, hope left for America. Author R.A. Torrey writes a prayer. Those persons who know the deep peace of God, the unfathomable peace that passes all understanding, are always men and women of much prayer. If you're a prayer, you're a peaceful person. Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom advised, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. John Bunyan, the author of the greatest uh, Christian-selling book in the world, in the history of the world, next to the Bible, best-selling Christian book in all of time, Pilgrim's Progress, wrote about prayer. Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. That's a true statement. I believe however much we pray, our prayer life can always be stronger. Mine certainly can. I'm praying that as I preach this, it preaches to me. Jesus was the master of prayer. You know, if Jesus needed to pray, where does that leave us? Because he was the God-man. He was all man, all God, all God, all man. He had a direct line with the Father, never did sin, put a shadow between he and the Father. Yet Jesus prayed all the time. He taught private prayer. He said, when you pray, not if, but when. He said, go into your room. That's the war room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who is, in, who is unseen. And then your Father who sees your praying in secret will reward you in the open. There will be an open blessing on your life if your life has secret prayer. People will look at you and say, why is that blessing on your life? And, well, I've got to be honest with you because I pray. 
He taught public prayer. He said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree together as touching anything on earth, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's corporate public prayer. And I'm going to talk about that one of these weeks. I'm going to be dealing with five key types of prayer in the weeks to come. Warfare prayer, intercessory prayer, the prayer of supplication, the prayer of agreement, the key to answered prayer, why some prayers go unanswered. I'm going to be dealing with those in the next few weeks. We find when you look at the Gospels and read the Gospels that Jesus regularly separated himself to go up into a mountain or to go off into the wilderness alone to pray to the Father. And you also see that he made some of his biggest decisions following prayer. For instance, before choosing the 12 disciples who were going to follow him for three and a half years, he prayed all night long. He prayed till the sun rose. Then he went and chose his 12. How many of our decisions would be sanctified and much safer if we would spend the night in prayer before we made them? Jesus prayed and then acted. That's what you see every time in his life. Prior to the agony of the cross, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And he found his strength in prayer. And the Bible tells us that an angel came and ministered strength to him after he had prayed. Prayer released an angel. And Jesus was able to go resolutely to the cross after finding strength and power in prayer. How often we would find strength and power if we would just pray. If we would just pray. Now, when we read the Gospels, and, and I'm going through the Bible in a year. I do every year. I'm going through the Bible in a year, a little Bible that I got through the Bible in a year. You ought to get one because then you don't have to pray every day about what you're going to read. And right now I'm in John. We've already been through the, the four Gospels. And when you read the Gospels, and I've noticed particularly in John, you see that the closer that Jesus got to the cross, the more he pulled his disciples aside and began to talk to them about prayer. He knew they were going to need prayer, especially with his crucifixion and resurrection and then ascension back into glory. They were going to need to understand prayer. So you find him over and again, seven times in three chapters, for example, in the Gospel of John, in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks about prayer seven times. And he tells them essentially the same thing. And let me just read you one of them. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You talk about an encouragement to prayer. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So he's saying, pray, children, pray. Come on, children, pray, disciples of mine. I want you to be praying men, praying women. The DNA of every believer flows from the head, and the DNA of the head was prayer. Now, I just want to share some very, very simple foundational truths about prayer uh, to set the stage for this series. This, this is, we're, we're, we're going to Prayer 101, but I've noticed most people never get Prayer 101. A lot of times we just miss it, and it's easy to do. So let me just take us to Prayer 101, and I want to just share some basic truths about prayer, and you're going to be fired up to pray. 
Some of you are going to go home today and you're going to go straight for a closet. You're going to clean it out and make it your prayer room. Here's something we need to all understand. First, God has chosen to act in our world primarily in answer to prayer. Let me say that again. God has chosen to act on planet Earth primarily in answer to prayer. Now, is God sovereign over all things? Yes. Does He do whatever He wants to do in His own universe? Yes. But listen, does He sometimes move in the absence of prayer? Yes, He does. Isaiah the prophet speaks of a time when God was looking for an intercessor and He couldn't find one, but He acted anyway. Listen to Isaiah 59, 17. He saw that there was no one. Listen to this. God, God's eye had been searching the whole planet. Can you imagine that? God's eye was scanning the planet, and he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no intercessor. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. Notice, God was on the hunt for an intercessor, somebody to stand in the gap. And I'm going to be talking about that one of these weeks. But he was looking for somebody to stand in the gap and pray for someone else, for, actually for the nation, and he couldn't find one. There was not one intercessor on the planet. And it said it, it appalled God. It appalled him. So what did he do? His own arm achieved salvation for him. In other words, he moved anyway. And God can do that because he's sovereign. But what was he looking for first? He was looking for a prayer. See, here's what I'm convinced of. That even when God has decided in his sovereignty that he's going to do something, he will raise up prayers to pray in what he wants to do. He will raise up prayers who will agree with him and, and understand his heart and his vision and what he wants, and they will pray in what he wants to do, even though if there's no prayer, he's going to move, but he looks for a prayer to pray it in. He looks for a prayer. Now, I wonder if his eye were to scan the planet now, how many intercessors he would come up with. Well, he would certainly come up with some, but boy, you talk about a tiny minority in comparison to the entire population of the world. God moved anyway. He moved anyway, but listen, even so, he has decreed that the vast majority of what he does on earth is an answer to prayer. So prayer is very important. The Bible verses confirming this truth are very many. Let me read a few. Listen to what God told Jeremiah. Call to me, and I will answer you. That's prayer. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So say with me, mighty things happen when we pray. God's saying, if you'll just call to me, I'm ready to do something mighty. Just call to me. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So God moves in answer to the prayer of faith. James writes, you have not because you ask not. Get this, everybody. Personal needs, according to James, often go unmet because we don't pray. We say, where is God? I need this, I need that, and God's, God doesn't seem to be helping me. Well, let me ask you, have you taken it to him in prayer? Because James said, hey, some of you don't have what you need because you haven't gone to God. Well, why doesn't he just do it? Because he moves in answer to prayer. How come? I don't know. That's his decision. Amen. 
Jesus said the harvest is so great and the workers are so few. So pray to the one in charge of the harvesting, which would be him, and ask him to recruit more workers for his harvest fields. That tells us that prayer precedes soul-winning revival. We pray that God will send laborers into the harvest. And when laborers go into the harvest, revival begins to burst forth. We're, we're short on laborers. But he said, pray about it. Ask God, and I will raise people up who will go into the harvest. A simple glance at, uh, a glance at history, which I love to read and I read all the time, reveals that God has shaken kingdoms and transformed nations and averted large-scale tragedies and delivered multitudes and canceled sinister satanic assignments and changed the spiritual atmosphere and direction of entire generations in answer to the prayers of His people. The greatest weapon on earth is not an atom bomb or a hydrogen bomb or any other bomb. The greatest weapon and force on earth is prayer. Prayer. Because prayer will stop the evil hearts that drop the bombs. So the first thing we need to understand today regarding prayer is that God has chosen. It's His choice to act in our world according to prayer. So what are we wanting to happen in our world? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That whole thing begins with an if. If you do this, then I do that. In math, we used to say if P, then Q. If you pray, then I will do this. So you can flip it and say if we don't pray, then the certain things are not going to happen. I believe that God wants to move in revival in America. We're in the darkest of the dark. We haven't seen a dark day like this in, in, in a very, very long time. I, I'm getting where I don't think we've seen a darker day than this in the, since the Civil War in America. America's on the precipice, and what is God looking for? He's looking for people who will understand that He moves in answer to prayer, and there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And if we will ask Him, He will show us great and mighty things that we have not yet known. God will do a new thing. The secondly, I wanted to say about prayer, prayer in its simplest form is this. It's how we bring what is in heaven down to earth. Isn't that simple? All prayer begins with a desire or need. And we wouldn't be praying at all if there weren't something we wanted or desired and believed that God had it up there. If we didn't believe he had it up there, we wouldn't ask him to send it down here. So in its simplest form, prayer is bringing from up there down to here because we believe God can do something about our needs and our desires. We pray about it. Now let me just give you an illustration. Praying is a little bit like fishing. Now I used to live in East Texas and I got a bass boat and I, and I got where I was fishing all the time. I really did become an East Texas good old boy. I got out there on my bass boat, and, and, and guess what? I, I, I was thinking about this. You never go out. When you're a fisherman, you never go out on the lake, but what you begin with an empty boat. 
and you take your empty boat out into the lake because you know that the lake has what you want. The lake has what you want. You want fish. You either want bragging rights by catching a big one, or you are hungry, and you want crappie at night. Man, we got so good at eating crappie. If you don't know what crappie is, you've missed one of God's great feasts. Crappie are great, great fish. We, in East Texas, we had microwave crappie, boiled crappie, baked crappie, fried crappie. We, we were crappied out. It's great fish. But I, I would go out there and I would begin with an empty boat. And the reason I took it on the lake, because I knew that in the lake was what I wanted. And so I would get my line and I, and I would put bait, of course, on, on the hook. And I would cast the bait where I couldn't go. And I'd walk it along the bottom. And you wait for that tug. And you know that God is with you that day. And that little tug, that little hit, and you pull. And all of a sudden, you're bringing from where you couldn't go something into your boat that was empty, but it's not empty anymore. But watch this. You had to send something where you couldn't go to bring back from where you couldn't go something you wanted. I think you know where I'm going with this. When we pray, we've got a line and we've got bait. The bait is the promise of God. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. All the promises of God are yea and amen through Jesus Christ. All your needs are met through Jesus Christ. Every answer to every need in your life is in Jesus Christ. So the bait, the bait is the promise of God. The line is the prayer of faith. And so you bait that hook with the promise of God and you cast into heaven where you can't go, but you're sending something that can go and you intend to bring back and put in your boat in your life something from that world to which you could not go, but you could bring something from there and you did it by the prayer of faith standing on the promises of God. So every, every, every single day in the morning, I read my Bible, and then I pray. And what am I doing? I'm casting promises into the throne room of God. I can't go into the throne room of God. I'm not in heaven yet. I can't go right into the very presence of God like in person because I'm not in heaven yet. Heaven is yet to come for me. The Spirit of God is within me. That's only an earnest of what is to come. But I have not experienced the fullness of what is coming yet. And when I do, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. But until then, the heaven is up there and I'm down here. So I need to send something there to bring from there here what I need. So I bait that hook, the promises of God. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's good bait. Send it. And it goes into the presence of God. And when we say in Jesus' name... God says all the promises of God are yea and amen through Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, my empty boat is not empty anymore because I have received from heaven what I wanted, what I needed, what I desired, 
what he wanted for me. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. And listen, you will have them. So say with me, prayer brings what is there. Here. Everything you need. Y'all can stop. I'm preaching now. You can follow along if you want to. But I'm going to leave you behind. Everything you need is in heaven in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Everything you need. Everything you need is in heaven in Christ Jesus. Listen to this incredible verse. We've all read it, but think about it for a minute. Philippians 4.19. It is he who will supply all, not some, not part, not most, all your needs. Where from? From his riches in glory. I can't get there, but my prayer can. From his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Every time that God answers our prayers, it comes from a location. His riches in glory by, through, because of Christ Jesus. Wow. The word riches means here his abundant fullness, his possession of all things, his inexhaustible ability to supply our needs. He provides our material needs from his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and most things in it. Is that what it says? Everything in it. See, God owns all the silver, all the gold, all the dollars. Trump doesn't. Neither does Bezos. Is that his name, the Amazon owner? He made a billion dollars last week just sitting there. And they think, well, I have all this money. No, you don't. Listen, you'll wake up one day, and that money will have made itself wings and flown away because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's really all his God says in Psalms 50, verse 12, listen to this. God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all. Everybody say all. All, all that is in it is mine. He just lets rich folks have it for a while. You never own it. You're a steward of it. But the Lord not only supplies material things from his treasures, but all spiritual wealth. Listen to this. In him, that is Jesus, lie hidden all. Listen to all these alls and everything and all. In him lie hidden all of what? The mighty, untapped treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If it's wisdom, it's in Jesus. He owns it all. He has it all. I've never understood why Philosophy departments and colleges don't have Jesus 101. What they do is they, they teach you the philosophy of people who ended up losing their minds. Nietzsche ended up losing his mind. And co colleges worship Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche, the atheist. They, they, they worship him. But he lost his mind. His philosophy got him nowhere. You can read all of the philosophers that college philosophy classes teach and they all just thought themselves into an impossible, miserable corner 
but Jesus was the greatest philosopher that ever lived. His teaching flows like butter, goes down like honey. He took the most profound things in all the world and made them simple. He was brilliant beyond brilliant. He puts all other philosophers in the shade. There ought to be Jesus 101, 102, and then take it further, Jesus 201 and 202. And then there ought to be a master's class on Jesus, and then they come out knowing something. I'm Jesus up today, right? It's really true. What a profound teacher our Lord was. So while God remains sovereign, he's chosen to move on the earth primarily in answer to prayer. And prayer is the means by which we bring what is up there here. It's that simple. But, but one last one. What kind of prayer? moves God's hand so that what is there comes to here. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in my name. Pray in my name. Now watch this. If prayer is the door, the name of Jesus is the key that opens the door. There's something about the name of Jesus God loves. I wonder what. You know, I listen to a lot of talk shows. I listen to a lot of radio talk. I'm in radio. I listen to a lot of radio talk. I've noticed something. What, what, what uh, advertisers will do is they will, they will hire the station to advertise for them, and what they request is that the host of the talk show, whoever it is, be the one that cuts their commercial so that the people listening to the advertisement have a, fam- a familiar voice talking to them. So, so the, the, the host will, will talk about some product and tell you, you've you got to get this or you're going to die. And when they come to end it, when they come to end the commercial, the way they end it is like this. They say, and when you go to the place of business that they, they've been talking about, when you go, tell them Hal or Joe or Mark sent you. You ever heard that and wondered, how dumb is that? Have you ever gone into one of those places and said, hey, Joe sent me. (laughs) It was just so dumb. But they do it. The idea is this. (laughs) The owner of the business will show you favor if you use the name. Of the announcer with whom you advertised. That's the idea that somehow you're going to get a special deal. If you go in there and say, Joe sent me, you're using a name. If using an earthly name is going to get you favor with a business, what does it do when we use a heavenly name, the heavenly name, the name above all names, and we go into the presence of God and we say, in Jesus' name, I ask for this, I ask for that, and and it moves according to Jesus, the hand of God. Listen, of the seven times in three chapters where Jesus encourages his disciples to pray, seven times in John 14, 15, and 16, six of those he says, pray in my name. Pray in my name. Here's one, up to now, remember those three words, up to now, you've asked nothing in my name. You haven't prayed this way up to now. This is new to you. 
Up to now, you've never prayed this way, but ask and you will receive when you pray in my name and your joy will be complete. He's acknowledging here, I am, I am instituting a brand new approach to God. If you read the, the, the Psalms, for instance, David will always pray this way, Oh God, and he'll give his prayer. Or Oh Lord, and he'll give his prayer. But he never ends it saying in the name of God or in the name of the Lord. He just begins by approaching God, acknowledging God's name, Elohim, Jehovah, whatever. So Jesus saying, listen, guys, we're going to pray in a whole new way. When you pray as my disciples, I want you to pray in my name. That's brand new. The disciples had never heard that. They've been raised on Old Testament teaching. This was absolutely new. In my name? What do you mean in my name? Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm sold, Lord. Now, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Just tagging the words in Jesus' name at the end of every prayer like you would finish a letter saying, sincerely yours? Can't be that because you know what that does? That diminishes and demeans and marginalizes the precious and sacred name of Jesus. His name is not a meaningless, vain repetition. Or how about some have thought that using the name was a way to demand something from God. I demand in Jesus' name you give me this or that. Way to kind of throw your weight around in the kingdom. Some people have prayed in such a way I wanted to duck. But God did not arm us with Jesus' name to make us demanding, spoiled children, insisting on our own way. That's not what the name of Jesus is. Now, let me blow you away with something. Did you know, in light of everything Jesus said about praying in his name, that not one time in any of the epistles, in any of the New Testament writings, not Peter, Paul, James, John, or Jude, not one time did any of them pray and end it saying in Jesus' name? Not one time. Well, Jeff, here's Jesus telling them to do it over and over again. Why didn't they? Let me tell you why. Because they understood what Jesus meant, and they prayed in the spirit of that command because they knew what he was teaching when he said, pray in my name. Well, what was he teaching? Let me give you an illustration. You'll understand it. If I were to give a sum of money, say $10,000 to a banker, Went in there and said, here's $10,000 check, and here's my money. Invest it for me in a safe, steadily growing fund so that it benefits me. And then I sign my name to the contract. He then has the authority, because he's got my name, to work on behalf of my name and me. He now has the authority of my name. He can talk to investors in my name. He can make deals in my name. He can act in the authority of my name because I gave him my name. But if he has integrity, he must act according to my wishes, not his own. He should only do what benefits me, not himself, because in receiving my name and the contract, he is serving me. He is working for me. He is there on my behalf. 
So he's not going to go do it to benefit himself if he has integrity. Whatever he does in my name, he does it to benefit me. Are you with me? And it goes without saying, he better not act badly as my representative because however my rep acts reflects on me. So here's the spirit of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We must pray according to his wishes, not our own. See, real prayer is when I understand his will and I come into agreement with him and I pray it down. And this is the confidence we have in him. That if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the things that we have requested of him. So there you have John putting a, an addendum onto Jesus' guarantee that whatever we pray in his name, we will get. John gives us an addendum, and he says, please understand that if it's not according to his will, he's not going to do it. We must pray for his benefit and that of his kingdom and not our own. This is real prayer. God touches us and he says, boy, I sure want to save that person. Well, Lord, let me just come into agreement with you and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray until that person is saved. I'm going to pray. Or God says to us, I sure want to meet your need. I want you to understand that I'm your need meter, that I'm your way maker. And, and, and we say, well, then I'm just going to pray that you will meet this need, Lord. And we pray and he comes through because we're in harmony with God's will. We must pray for his glory and not our own. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. He's saying prayer in Jesus' name means that we pray according to his will, for his benefit, and for his glory in his name, reflecting his name, honoring his name. This is why Jesus said, and he's going to give us the reason for all answered prayer. I'm going to close with this. Are you ready? Here's the reason for all answered prayer. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that. Can everybody say so that? So that. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's, that's the reason for answered prayer. Even when God provides you a loaf of bread that goes into your pantry, you go out and tell somebody, you know, I needed bread, and I prayed, and I prayed in Jesus' name because I knew it was his will to provide for my needs according to Philippians 4. And so I prayed, and he came through for me, and right then the Father is glorified in the Son because the Son is the one who made the way where there was no way, who carries us into the throne room of God. He is the reason that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and pray for mercy and grace to help in the hour of need. He is the reason every promise of God is yes and amen. He is the way and the truth and the life into answered prayer. It's because of Jesus. So stand with me today, would you? And let's just say this together because this is a foundation for the weeks to come. And God's going to change us. Say this with me. God has chosen to act in our world in answer to prayer. Second, prayer is how we bring what is in heaven down to earth. And third, we pray in Jesus' name, directing our prayers always with his kingdom 
and glory in mind. Can we lift holy hands to the Lord today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're a prayer-answering God. Thank you that you're a prayer-answering God. And, Lord, we come to you thanking you that your blood made a way for us to have the Father's ear and pray in your precious name and in what you represent and seeing what is in heaven come into our boat, our life. And I sense right now in this sanctuary that many of you are about to receive an answer to prayer because this message has spurred you and built your faith. You're going to see an answer. Something is headed for your boat. There's going to be an answer, and you're going to rejoice, and you're going to tell somebody, and the Father is going to be glorified in the Son. Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you for it. Now, with our heads bowed, I want to ask, you know, some of you may have never prayed the very first prayer that opens the door to all other prayers. Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. That's the first prayer of tens of thousands to follow. And there's a question mark in your mind. Am I really saved? Am I born again? Have I, have I really been born again? Or do I need Jesus? I want to pray with you. And you can do it right now. You've got the faith to pray it right now. It's there right now. And we're, gonna, we're just going to take the promise to God that if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. That's the promise. Let's cast that into heaven right now by faith and receive his salvation. Pray it with me. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin that has destroyed my soul and separated me from God. Forgive me. I believe in my heart you were raised from the dead and I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I want you to know if you prayed that, he heard that prayer and it's already been answered. Father, I thank you for these that have come and I pray you will bless them and seal their decision by the power of your Spirit, and that they will bear fruit and be rooted in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.